Hello and welcome. This is Ted Holsey, Vice President of Marketing at eFolder. This is the eFolder Channel Chat Podcast. Today is episode 17, and I'm joined by Andrew Arnone, President of Direct One Networking in Portland, Oregon. Andy, welcome to the call. Thank you for having me, Ted. Okay, well, welcome. Uh, one of the things we always do on the Channel Chat podcast to start things out is we, we ask our eFolder partner guests to tell us a little bit about uh, their business. You know, what do you guys focus on? Um, what's the, kind of some of the history of the firm? That sort of thing. Sure. Uh, Direct One got started in uh, 1999. It was very organic, and I was a consultant for various ERPs and uh, EDI kind of things. And then uh, people kept asking me, do you know networking? And I said, well, yes. And so we organically started getting some customers, and then hence Direct One <clears throat> was born. And we started out primarily as, you know, break-fix uh, in the old days, you know, no remote access. And then in about 2004, we uh, got involved with uh, RMM tools and saw, you know, the monthly recurring income uh, potential with doing a, a full managed service offering. So at, back then, we started transitioning uh, customers as we could in out of the break fix into the managed service realm. And during that time, then, we got more automated ourselves, including getting a PSA tool and, you know, trying to automate and doing as, as much as we could and keeping uh, everything very, I guess, uh, cookie cutter so that when we added a new customer, we all knew we put in the same tool set on every customer, so it was a lot easier to manage, and um, that was kind of how that organically started there. And so now our primary focuses, our, our primary verticals, I guess, would be uh, medical facilities, uh, outpatient surgery centers, doctor's offices. And then also we, uh, due to my background, we get a lot involved in a lot of distribution and uh, light manufacturing as well. So those are our two main verticals, really, that we, we focus on right now. Okay. And where would you say, you know, in terms of this uh, evolution, to a managed services type approach to the business. I mean, how far along are you? I mean, can you declare victory? Or are you halfway there in terms of your client base? Um, tell me a little bit about kind of where you are on the journey. I'd say we're about 80% there, and we've gone to more of a, a full, full fixed fee or all-in seat price kind of model where it's just a flat fee, and then the customer doesn't have to pay for anything else other than maybe some project work or you know, one-off. We get a lot of problems you have is with the line of business apps that customers have, which are either unique, and you can't really forecast how long an upgrade or things will take. So, but we we're pretty far along in the process, and we've been, uh, you know, keep moving people forward, and they start they once they see the full package or the full meal deal, people seem to be a lot more responsive and 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 like the service level a lot better. Okay, and what's what was the biggest challenge you guys faced in kind of making that transition from kind of a break fix model to to all in managed services? Well, in our the problem we had is we spoiled everybody early on so that we um, people didn't see the value of paying a flat monthly fee. They go, well, you help us immediately anyway, and you're already doing these things, and they go, but we need to automate it and make it a a process rather than just oh hey I'm I don't have anything to do right now. I'm going to log into your server and do some updates. So 
that and then showing the value to the customer of what the what the managed service offering can bring and you know the monitoring one one thing we got an old break fix customer converted and then we uh, so we we're monitoring it and we we're standing at their doorstep at 630 in the morning and they're going what are you guys doing here and we're well your server won't boot and there's a hard drive issue and they were just completely blown away and now they're a customer for life so people start seeing Hey, we're proactive. We're not going to wait for something to happen or you to call. There's nothing more proactive than being there before the uh, the first employee shows to open up the doors in the morning, right? So yeah, that was fun. It was fun to do that and have them just you know now they're uh, actually a great uh, referral uh, and a, a testimonial for us as well. Now, but so so that's that's a great success story, and it's it's fun to have those sorts of really tangible ways to kind of tell a story about, uh, you know, being there for the clients, being there for them before they even know they had a problem. Uh, but day, kind of day in day out across the whole client base, how do you how do you kind of drive home the value? Are you doing things like QBRs or technical reviews on a periodic basis with with the clients? Yes, uh, we. Uh... We now meet, well, we do the virtual CIO role where we meet with the customers at least once a year, most, some quarterly. Uh, it, we like to do it at least twice a year to go over the budget and planning. And we've uh, we've hooked up with uh, True Methods, which is a managed service coaching firm, and they have a product called My IT Process now that we started to use. And what it does is it helps align our best practices for each particular customer so that we can stay on track and focused on. And then the reports are really nice. So we align it with our best practices and, and obvious things. And so green is good, yellow, there's a problem. And then red shows up as little bombs. So when we go out for these visits with the customers, we show here's all the stuff we're doing. Here's the things we need to focus on. And here's our one one three and five year budget plan for you so and people really are surprised but very happy that we're not saying you need a server tomorrow so we got to buy it right now they like to see the plan and have that whole process in place and that's really made a difference as well and so to go out there and just say well here's a, a canned uh, network operations report which you watch people's eyes glass over this is our new report is simple green yellow red and the the look on their face is that they're happy they understand it and it's very very you know uh, plain English not techie or well here are your hard drives filling up well that's that's an issue but we'll address that in our next you know our next uh, process right I mean the, the, to the non-technical audience they want to know what's the impact what are the risks and then what can we do about it and, and by when do we need to do it? Not the technical nitty gritty often. Um, so tell me, to, for our listeners' benefit and, and mine, um, tell us. I mean, Gary Pika, True Methods, they do a lot of great stuff. We're big followers and advocates for them. Uh, tell us a little bit more about my IT process. Is this some sort of uh, service, uh, software as a service thing you subscribe to with True Methods? Yeah, it's uh, bundled in with that. And so. Um it's it's got a series of questions that our, our network admins um, we go through and you do a review and it's you know our you know our password set to expire are the backups running so for instance when we're running the shadow protect 
you know, are we, and we do test restores and make sure the images can come up. And, you know, that those are checkboxes. When, when was the last one done? Are the antivirus defs up to date? So all these different things. And it is a software as a service. And then it provides, like I said, uh, and it saves each one of the, the reviews we do. And we've just been going, and as that kind of evolves as well as, because, you know, with the changing environment, um, what we may be looking at today maybe not as critical or just kind of all baked in already. So we keep fine-tuning that to, you know, keep everybody in line. And then it helps us, too, that, okay, well, this customer isn't in line with this process, but we fixed it over here, so let's just move that process over there. And then it's very easy check boxes and has a budgeting and, and other functions built into it. So they've really put some time and effort into that, and it, it seems to be paying off. And as we learn it ourselves, it's, it's, it's a real easy thing to use. And it's just dialing it in has been uh, a challenge, but you start seeing the fruition of it when, when you're showing somebody those reports and, and they're just happy that it's, you're not teching them out. Right, right. And so does it come with kind of some pre-canned best practices templates and then you can also go in and customize them based upon your own philosophy about what, what is the best practice for your customers? Yeah, they give you a base template and then uh, you can go in and start adding your own questions and organizing how, how things are in there. For instance, the Shadow Protect is one of the canned ones in there and, you know, kind of is it set up, is it been tested, so on. So, yeah, it, it gives you a nice base template and... Uh, you know, and people have been kind of sharing their templates uh, in the community. So mm -hmm. here's what we did, and you can kind of bring that in and take a look at what other folks are doing. So it's it's the community is pretty strong, especially when you're not competing with anybody in in your particular area. People are more than happy to help you out. Okay, okay. And then does it does the product integrate with your PSA? And do you guys are you guys uh, using a, a PSA tool? Yes, we currently are using Autotask, and it does integrate with that. So if there's, for instance, we see a, a bomb on on the report, there's a box where you can just check a ticket, which would then open it for the particular system engineer or network admin, and then that ticket gets created. So then when it's completed, then we go back into the review, and you can update that. Now it's, now it's good and green and ready to go. So that's pretty slick, and we're getting more and more into that as well. Okay. Okay. Well, great. Um, so let's let's kind of turn uh, change gears a little bit and, and talk about y your your customer focus. Um, you said uh, you guys do a lot with medical. Um, you know, what are some of the the unique challenges the uh, medical verticals having today, and and how are you going about helping them with that? Well, obviously HIPAA uh, and keeping all the IT in line and. Uh, and, you know, emails have to be encrypted, and we're we're rolling out Anchor right now at a at a facility because they were using SharePoint, and obviously that's not HIPAA compliant. And so we're rolling forward with the the Anchor, and that provides those secure links. So if they need to send a schedule or any kind of patient data, any docs office, it's really easy for them to do that. Um, and it gets rid of this email encryption because if the email encryption is either uh, keyword based or someone has to click a button. Whereas when you're doing it through Anchor, it's you know a pro send secure link, so it's a bit easier and you're more more assured that it's encrypted and HIPAA compliant. And so the, that and all the other, I just got I was at a we use Continuum for our RMM tool and uh, they had their big conference 
a couple months ago, and I heard a horror story about, you know, you sign business agreements when you're working with medical or, you know, so that we're HIPAA compliant to be HIPAA compliant with them. Somebody got hit with a $650,000 fine, and that was the IT shop that got hit with that. I don't know what the actual medical facility got hit. Wow. But, But we've got some clients that medical that are fighting it and going waffling back and forth and uh, we've been out talking with them saying look we have to get you on it some base level managed service so we can provide all the HIPAA compliance so not only are we staying current with our business agreement but we are HIPAA compliant we're HIPAA compliant because obviously taking a hit like that that probably would put us out of business and uh, obviously we can't afford that so those are big challenges right now Right. I mean, it's uh, we, we talk a lot um, to a lot of eFolder partners about kind of the medical vertical, and it's kind of like the, the, the situation today is you've got to either be all in or completely out of that vertical. You can't, you can't be halfway committed to dealing with, um, you know, medical clients of any kind um, because of this, because of these financial risks. Um, uh, so that's that's interesting. So how 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 much uh, does medical make up your your clientele? I would say it's probably half of our our business right now, and and more are coming in. Um, mm-hmm. So new ones, or you know, when you're approaching someone new or someone that's not a current customer, it's a lot easier to explain this, and and they buy off on it. It's some of these legacy customers that are are harder to convince, or you know, we had one. They were on managed services. There was a problem. They some, you know, they had some money issues, so they, we backed off for a while. And now we're having a tough time getting them signed back up. But I think there's just comes a point where you don't want to say you drop any customers, but you know, in financially or in your best interest, you can't afford to keep a, those kinds of customers on board any longer. Right. The, the, if the the you can't never have the financial risks outweigh the the kind of residual income you're making from them, uh, if it's exposing you to a lot of risk, that makes total sense. Um, you know, I, you also, you know, in talking to partners about the medical vertical, you hear kind of a range of different kinds of stories about foot dragging or or really sloppy practices, in you know, in terms of protecting uh, PHI type information. Um, you know, what is the what is the big struggle? Is it kind of upstairs in the heads of the doctors or the decision makers about change and new processes or is are there real economic challenges uh, a lot of you know doctors and medical groups are facing just in terms of compliance and the, and the costs of it which is the bigger which is the bigger challenge I guess is, is my well, question I obviously you know as you know if you guys have seen insurance uh, you know for you know, company insurance; those rates keep going up and up. So the cost of healthcare is not is continues to go up, and this just kind of adds to that. They're like, "Oh wow, I'm already paying this for this insurance. I have to do this. Now you're telling me on I have to be all HIPAA compliant on the IT side." So they go, "Well, where are we going to come up with that money?" And some of it is just, you know laziness or well we've always done it that way well that's you know that's you can't leave a patient file in your car because that's a violation mm-hmm. so I, th- I think it's mostly well we'll just call you when we need you or can't you just log in and do patching manually it's like we're we want to automate this stuff we want to make sure 
that way we can we have audit trails and logs that all this stuff is being completed where someone goes well I'll just log into the server and do the updates well that's not our business agreement and so there's some of it is process but most of its financial just well I, I can't afford that well can you afford we had a one doctor he got he got cited by actually had a disgruntled patient who turned him in Oh, okay. Because the, he wouldn't recommend him to the next service level. He goes, you know, you don't need that. You're you're fine. And he turned him in, and he got fined fifty thousand dollars for very minimal stuff. But these, what we found too, is the HIPAA consultants or the auditors that come in, they're paid on a commission, so they're going <laughs> to find something. <laughs> that's the first time I ever heard about that. So there's yeah. kind of a the auditor, the. You know the auditor has some uh, some some upside in the game, if you will, on finding uh, violations. That's a huge, <laughs> that's yeah. a huge. That's never heard about that part of the reality, and uh, the, you know the the grim reality of kind of patient satisfaction turning into a HIPAA violation. Um, right. Yeah, and it yeah. was it was it was a surprise to obviously to him, and it scared him a little bit, but just not enough either. So since then he's retired. I think he just got burned out on all the regulations. And so he just said, I'm done and just kind of cashed out everything. So, yeah, but I think it, I mean, I think it does underscore things that, you know, compliance and, and everything that's required to do it right is not free. And, uh, you know, getting that, uh, you know, getting that under control um, requires thoroughness, and it requires a service provider who's going to do it right. So, um, very interesting. So, how how are you guys going about growing your business? Um, you said you're kind of I mean if it's, you got fifty percent in medical, and you're you're looking for more, that's pretty much doubling down. So, so tell us about a little bit about how you're going out and growing, growing your franchise and getting more of these medical clients. Well, we were. Uh... You know, and part of Gary Pika's, you know, training is inside sales reps to, you know, dial for dollars. And that's a tough job. And we've we've gone through a few people trying to do that. And then we tried to outsource it for a while. And I don't know about you guys, but we get so many telemarketing calls now that I think it's saturated. So we've kind of backed off from doing the outbound telemarketing right now. And so we've contacted uh, Raj over at Prestacular. And he does uh, marketing for MSPs, and he's got uh, his site will help us. They have uh, you know canned newsletters, kind of things with content that he updates, and then announcements. And we went through our uh, database of prospects, and so we're specifically targeting these kinds of uh, you know in our database. So we're we're working our database a bit more. We're working on more warm lead sources and you know other vendors and telco people that we work with. And uh, there's a uh, some organizations in town we're we're reconnecting with, like Technology Association of Oregon. Say we're looking back into the Chamber of Commerce and trying some other avenues to more of a you know do more marketing to bring people to us rather than call them and, and bug them because we were just having it got harder and harder for people even to take a phone call anymore yeah I mean I think uh, you know it's a it's a it's a struggle that we debate about a lot uh, at eFolder you know between the VP of sales me as the VP of marketing it, you know what's the right balance between kind of an aggressive outbound program and and instead trying to use content 
as a magnet to draw in your targeted public. Now, of course, we're trying to recruit, entice new MSPs and, and keep our existing partner community well-informed and engaged and whatnot. So it is a, it is a balancing act. And um, do, do you guys have full-time salespeople who are quota carrying? Uh, no, it, like I said, we kind of we have them, and then we don't, and then we do. So it's it's been hard to find the right person, and we've tried inside sales, outside sales reps over the years, and so now I'm just taking that under my mantle. Uh, I've kind of I'm a network engineer <clears throat> originally, so it's I like that stuff, but that doesn't grow the business, and I've got through all this process and things where I've got most of that stuff uh, pushed off to the, the people who are better at it than I am now. So moving into the sales role, I'm just kind of doing that and trying a different flavor, you know, and, and working on our website, updating the content, trying to get the, uh, the SEOs optimized, you know, things like that to, to draw people to us. Because when people are looking for an MSP, they're going to search Google, or at least in town. Yeah. And what's what's the breadth of your kind of physical footprint? Are you guys uh, like how far afield from Portland will you guys go in terms of a client engagement? Um, we got we right now we say about a fifty mile radius around the Portland area, which includes uh, Southeast Washington, and uh, we have we have some outlying customers. So, but that's kind of our we're kind of going to be expanding that a little bit more because we find some of the outlying areas just don't have. They maybe have a one or two man shop, but they're not. They're just break fix guys, and these people reach a certain point where they just can't provide the service level that that this a particular company may need. So we're finding we're getting more referrals from those kinds of sources. Like we need someone that has a tool set and a, a full managed you know program for them. Gotcha. And and uh, I mean for our listeners, um, you know what's if the if somebody was in a kind of a similar situation, you know, kind of trying to think about how do I grow the top line? How do I get more customers in the door? Um, you know, you've kind of engaged with the uh, Gary Pika folks. I mean, what, what's some advice you would give in terms of either experts or gurus out there or communities to get involved with? Who, what, what, where would you, what kind of recommendations would you give? Well, uh, I think, I've been reading uh, some articles lately on uh, MSP Mentor site, and there's there's been this series of what would I do if I started an MSP today. Uh huh. And it's been it's very interesting because it's other you know guys who have uh, you know leaders of MSPs, and most of them say, and I agree with this, is start a sales team earlier than I would now, and try to try to dial that in right away, whether it's you know inside or outside or a combination sales, and be and outsource everything else. I mean, we we come in, and we want people to outsource their IT to us, and same thing for us. We need to outsource you know uh, you know say your bookkeeping, all your stuff outsourced to someone else, so that really all you have is some salespeople and operations, and the rest is all. You know, you don't have anybody in house doing that anymore. Uh huh. So I think uh, th I guess there's no silver bullet, which is always what we're you know everybody wants. Okay, if I do this and I make X amount of calls, I'll get certain amount you know of leads and then hopefully uh, some sales out of that. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if there's if I can say go here and do this. Uh, it's interesting to always. Um, 
like Carl Palachek too. He's been around for a while and um, worked with him too and some of his ideas in his books as well. So um, I wish I, I I guess I don't have a clear answer. <laughs> no, but that's you know. But I think that I think the the one that probably leaves probably most people kind of slack jawed a little bit is the whole idea that you know if you were going to start an MSP tomorrow, what would you st- your first hire would be as maybe a salesperson. Yes. And, you know, I mean, I and I think that's so such an alien idea to um, so many guys and gals in the channel because they, you know, most people come from a kind of a technical background and they don't really like salespeople or don't really like you know the traditional sales methodologies and so it doesn't even occur to them that that would be the uh, you know the first thing to do. But I think it's pretty instructive. I think. What I find in, you know, I spend a lot of time like the folks in, in HTG, for instance. I read Carl's books. And, and you know, I think the big challenge is how do you do that transformation when you're already 10 or 20 years into running one of these businesses and you come from that technical background. Um, I think what I've found over time is that the typical technical business owner in the MSP space they're going to get their first biggest wins in terms of managing salespeople is if they start with kind of farming their own base and having dedicated account management resources who will conduct, you know, coordinate those VCIO meetings and, and coordinate the engagement with the existing clientele and be that, you know, one throat to choke on kind of the overall engagement. Um, that's what I've found, at least, um, has been most successful. Like, once you can get... You know, an account manager actually makes money because the recurring revenue keeps coming in and you have happy clients who stay for a long time and and slowly grow over time or grow quickly over time, whatever. Then you can kind of move on to hunters, adding a hunter who will then go out. And it's all around managing salespeople. And it's easier to start out with a farmer, then move to a hunter. And then it kind of goes back and forth. So that's at least what I've found over time. Yeah, and another common thread in there, you mentioned it, is uh, of hire a VCIO or account manager or the other buzzword now is customer advocate kind of thing. So that that's a key one, the sales and uh, the VCIO role and then your engineers and just do that. Um, um, I've done sales in the past, and it, to me, I can manage tech guys and other people a lot easier than I can salespeople and it's it's something I'm always working on is how do how do you manage a salesperson effectively and keep them motivated and out there you know doing what they need to do but give them enough you know slack that you're not micromanaging them mm-hmm. it's definitely an art and a science thing and there's a lot of kind of fuzzy contextual things that you got to sort through and um, there's some of the more challenging people to manage, I think, at the end of the day. Um, they're also, you know, kind of sometimes emotional. And uh, anyway, it's uh, I've managed uh, sales teams in my career and salespeople, and it's definitely a different sort of challenge. So, um, but for our listeners, I mean, it, it sounds like you've gotten you've gotten some good, pretty good insights into the kind of how to, you know, at least get like a good rhythm with your existing base via the true method stuff and some of the tools you've been able to acquire from them. Yes, um, I, I, I guess I wish I would have found them earlier because they—that's where I actually uh, ran into you guys had a booth at one of the last Schnizfests, and that's how I ended up connecting with you guys and uh, some other people there. So it's been very good, and I wish I would have started that sooner um, than later. But you know, it's still—it's still good to. We always call it cleaning up the basement. You got to have a solid foundation technically and. 
believe that you can provide all the services that you're telling people you can. And when you're actually doing it and believe it, I, it I've seen a turnaround on that where, you know, we had a, a, a guy we closed the other day. It was really funny. Um, I was meeting with him, and he was he was telling me he's fine, he's happy with his current provider, and, and I just kind of closed my notebook, and I go, well, it seems you're fine, and there's nothing really we can do at this time, so just let me know if you're upset or want to change something. And he sat there thinking for a while, and he goes, wait, I, I'm not happy. And he ended up, we ended up closing, the, it was one of the fastest deals we ever closed, and he went for an all-in uh, plan and just closed it within a week. It was, uh, I, I wish they all went like that, but... You know, we're we're kind of like yes is great, but no is okay too. Yeah. And just as long as people understand our process, they'll think about us next time. You know, they're or if they do get mad or upset with their current provider, that they'll go, hey, these guys had a, a different way of doing things, and that's we'll call them this time. Yeah. Sometimes that that magical moment of closing up your notebook to say, you know, no is okay, and how how happy are you after all? You know, is a is a good way to kind of reopen things uh, magically. Just because uh, if somebody's not truly happy, you got to let them pour it out first to find out if there's truly an opportunity there. And it sounds like you guys are, were able to capitalize on that, so that's great. Yeah, it was fun. You know, it's fun when that happens like that. You're going, this can't, this won't work. <laughs> and then you just kind of do it, and they're like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just it just causes me to think about a story. When I was in college, I uh, I, I was I got trained to sell encyclopedias door-to-door, and, and the um, – <laughs> <laughs> my trainer one of his one of his techniques was he had a more dramatic way of closing the notebook he like literally he he would like he literally coached me to like kind of slam the encyclopedia shut almost like on the nose of the prospect uh, when when they, when they weren't listening to you and and you you know you, when you see their eyes glaze over you would slam the encyclopedia shut and almost catch their nose in it and then ask them for the name of their neighbor uh <laughs> Anyway, it sounds like you were able to capitalize on closing the notebook a little more diplomatically, and it works. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, and then other times people are like, "Okay, we'll see you. Thanks." You know, <laughs> yeah. and that's okay. You know, like I said, we're just you know building awareness, and you're always working on, uh, you know, how you you know persuade people without being a pushy hard sell. And I think there's been some stuff in the past with especially managed service. There's competitors here in town that are very pushy, and that just turns people off. Yeah, and getting to know faster is often a, a, a part of being an efficient uh, salesperson, too. So Yeah, sometimes you can get an hour of your life back that way. <laughs> we all need those hours. Right. They add up. Right, you're like, okay, I get it. Okay, well, hey, well, this kind of brings us to the uh, end of today's conversation. I want to, really want to thank you, Andy, for uh, sharing um, all the insights about your business and, and how you're looking to grow and, and serve your clients. So uh, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Ted, and uh, we're really looking forward to be rolling out more CloudFinder and Anchor, which we're, we're really happy about hooking up with you guys on that. Okay. Well, fantastic. So today on the eFolder Channel Chat podcast, we were joined by Andy Arnone, president of Direct One Networking in Portland, Oregon. Um, this is Ted Holsey, vice president of marketing at eFolder, and see you on the next eFolder Channel Chat podcast. Take care now.